With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Hello and welcome to the show. The Phil Hay Show brought to you by The Athletic and The Square Ball. All remote today due to the weather across Yorkshire. I'm Dan Moylan. Hello. And from The Athletic, this is Phil Hay. Hello. And from The Square Ball, Michael Normanson. Hello. Three ninety nine a month is the offer at the minute. There's a discount on if you want to subscribe to The Athletic. Great analysis, in-depth features from the very best football writers around. And joining those very good football writers is Phil Hay. Uh, what is um, on the agenda this week, Phil? Well, a bit of a break after the Brighton game because the Southampton match has been postponed and obviously leads are out of the FA Cup. Um, I might have mentioned last week that I've done um, a big interview with Romario Vieira, which is going to be running in the next few days. A lot of really interesting stuff in that, actually, about his brother and about them together at Leeds, about the way he left. And also, um, I thought, some quite insightful comments about Carlos Corbin, um, who he thinks um, could well be the next Bielsa or, or a coach of, of that sort of standard. So that's something to look out for. To have a read of all that stuff, have a look at theathletic.com forward slash leads pod. So use our URL to sign up. Theathletic.com forward slash leads pod. It's cold, it's snowing, none of us can go anywhere, but I think we would probably all prefer a trip to the dentist rather than to talk about the shambles that happened at Crawley at the weekend. That wasn't good at all, was it? Terrible. I put that down the list of games that you thank God that you're getting paid mileage for it as you're driving home and, and fighting around the, the M25. It was like the good old days of Histon and Sutton and, and Newport, those sort of results that you assumed we'd left behind on the basis that everything's turned the corner pretty dramatically um, and, and that quite a lot of those defeats came in periods where the club seemed pretty directionless and, and at times pretty devoid of, of talent in the squad as well. Uh, but it it was a big surprise to me. I mean, I, I I didn't expect Leeds to lose down there. I didn't expect them to play as poorly as they did. Um, we we didn't get the chance to speak to Bielsa about it afterwards because there were no facilities down there um, for him to do a, a Zoom press conference and he was offered the chance to do a post-match huddle um, after the game, but at 65 it didn't make a lot of sense with all the COVID restrictions and, and all the concerns about um, you know his age and, and safety and, and everything else. So we were a little bit in the dark about some of the decisions down there, about um, the way he managed the game, the way he approached it, and particularly what he did at, at halftime with um, with the substitutions. But he, he, he said today, he had this pre-match um, press conference before Brighton about an hour ago, and he said that as far as he was concerned, it was the fifth worst defeat in Legion United's history. And I was trying to work out what the other four would be, and I've, I've certainly got Histon um, and Sutton on there, and I think Colchester as well from back in the, the Revy days, but I'd be fascinated to know what falls in at, at number four. There were certainly a couple in the mid-90s. I remember Oxford and Mansfield feeling quite bad at the time. And I guess the Cardiff defeat that people give credit for the, to the start of our spiral, I guess maybe that's in there. But yeah, it's um, it's quite an achievement that so many have come in the last few years. There's Newport as well. And I, mean, I guess it depends on how you categorise a, a bad result. Newport was a pretty desperate performance and obviously... Um, pretty desperate loss as well but then there was the the added kick in the teeth of, of Sammy Sayers getting his six match ban for, for spitting at somebody um, I mean the, the the strange thing about Crawley was that I, I think it's the first time since Bielsa has been at Leeds that there didn't seem to be much in the way of interest in him or much in the way of attention on him and, until it started going horribly wrong in the second half, Crawley have obviously signed Mark Wright, the the ex um, the only way is Essex uh, star and radio DJ um, amongst other things, and to be fair to him, you know former Tottenham Hotspur youth player, um, but somebody who's well into his thirties, and and you would have thought had long since given up on the idea of a of a footballing career. But the cameras in in the main were there for him. He'd he'd had you know the BBC documentary that had been produced ahead of the game. He came off the bench with a few minutes to go. Although it was quite funny the way that everybody suddenly got sucked into the football because it turned out that there was going to be this fairly uh, monumental upset. But because of the way it went and because of the way Leeds played and because of how wrong Bielsa seemed to get it, there was a feeling of them 
dropping in, dropping out, going home without really leaving anything in the way of a scratch on Crawley at all. And and it was a very strange event um, in that respect. And I do think it's a bit of a missed opportunity because I, I, I honestly felt, given the squad that's been put together and the way they've played in, in a lot of Premier League games, that there was a chance to do something in the FA Cup this season. But as I said in my report on Monday, Leeds United and the FA Cup seem to hate each other and even Bielsa doesn't seem to be able to change that. We've always got one of these results in us, haven't we? And it's one of those intangible things I've never been quite able to put my finger on or explain why this happens with such regularity to Leeds United. Any thoughts? I am. Um, I tweeted a pick before the game um, and it was misty down there. It was very similar conditions to Sutton, I thought in particular, but also Histon, if you ignore the fact that it wasn't pelting down with rain, it was freezing at Histon and it was, you know, it was misty and it was cold and, and everything else. Um, but it wasn't actually as, as bleak as it seemed. That photo made it look like Mordor, but as in actual fact, it was just a kind of cold afternoon. But a lot of people replied to that and said, definite defeat in coming on the basis of that pick. It just felt like the kind of setting where, where cup upsets happen. Um, but I think I think it would be wrong to say that it's a, a you know a freak in amongst a, a lot of other very good results this season. If if you look closely at what happened in the game, the, the structure of the team to begin with, but more specifically the structure of the team after Bielsa made the changes um, at half time, it did expose Leeds and it did expose his players to that sort of upset. It didn't give them the best chance to go through, I don't think. And I I, I did genuinely feel at half time that those alterations and and the way it weakened areas of the team were only likely to encourage Crawley, who at that stage were in the game anyway. You know, at nil-nil, it was very finely balanced. And I, I kind of said on Twitter, like, these these subs need to work because it's not as if Leeds have got a, a strong foot in this game. It's not as if they're a couple of goals up and, and it's pretty much in the bag. You, you felt like it was still extremely even and and, and still to be to be decided. Um, and it was, it was Crawley's day. I mean, I thought they deserved the winner. I didn't think 3-0 was flattering for them um, I, I thought they were strong enough in the second half to deserve that and there were an awful lot of things that, that went wrong and Bielsa said earlier you know as much as his players didn't play well he said I can't really blame them you know I, I made three changes and it and the result wasn't good um, he, he explained the changes and we can we can perhaps go into that in a, a bit more detail um, but ultimately he said look that you know the team wasn't right and that comes down to me. Do you think he wanted to win it enough as he's that's kind of been bandied around that he didn't put out a strong enough side, or maybe that early part of the second half could have done with some more of the senior players remaining on the pitch just to get the tie won. I think enough is a good word to add into that. I definitely think he wanted to win the tie, and and he did on a couple of occasions in his press conference earlier say specifically, you know, we we did take this seriously. You know, I, I genuinely wanted to win this. Whether he wanted to win it enough, you can question that on the basis of what was done with the team. But, you know, his, his rationale for taking off Cooper at half time and that was always planned it was always going to be 45 minutes for Cooper and and you'll have seen that there were only seven players on the bench Leeds could have had nine but in Bielsa's head from what we are told he, he already had it in mind uh, what he was going to do with his substitutions and, and when he was he was going to do them he, he said that he felt that he owed minutes to Casey and to um, Jack Jenkins who came on and played in defensive midfield in the second half and Sam Greenwood who made his debut for the last half hour or so because they'd been playing well with the 23s, they were at the front of the queue with the 23s. And if he wasn't going to give them, you know, a chance to have a, have, you know, a more concerted challenge than under 23s football in, in that fixture, then when was he going to do that? And and I think, you know, that's a, a valid point. It just felt to me as if the the plan for the substitutions was too rigid and, and too strict. And, and that at half time actually it would have made sense to have looked at the balance of the game and, and to decide that taking off strike and, um, removing Rodrigo and playing Harrison up front was not necessarily a smart idea and, and was not likely to to win the game. And and I think, you know, if there'd been all-out commitment to winning that at Crawley, you, you would have seen Bamford involved, you would have seen Cleek involved and, and Dallas and Ailing. But again, I understand why they were rested. You know, Bielsa said they're, they're players who never, ever get a break and, and this was a chance to do that. Um, so I definitely don't think he was throwing the tie. I don't think he was using it as a, um, a training exercise. I, I think he would have wanted Leeds to go through but I think with hindsight there are things he could and should have done differently Bielsa's forgotten more about football than I've ever looked but I am still going to respectfully disagree with that decision to um, play play and it's too because that does seem too rigid to me um, that's sticking far too much to a plan when it didn't necessarily reflect 
the realities of the tie, which, I mean, we spoke about this, didn't we, Michael, on the Square Ball podcast? And do you agree with that then, that he owes minutes to players or should he get the, the tie won first? I guess the substitutes did indicate that he wasn't taking it maybe quite as seriously as a, a league game because I don't believe that if a if a league game was in the balance, he would think, well, I'd, I'd kind of owe so-and-so a, a, bit of a, a bit of a game time, so I'm going to bring him on. And to bring in such inexperienced players into what was clearly a very tough game that they were, if not dominating, they were certainly in. It did feel a little bit like we were just completely handing the tie to them at that stage. And I think he could justify it more had they come on and played well, but... I mean, without wanting to have too much of a go at them, because the young lads, like I think, I thought Casey in particular was all over the place in this game, and if anything, has probably shown that maybe he needs to go out on loan to to actually play some matches. What I found strangest was that it was almost the antithesis of what BL says. Is and I, for the first time, really, I can't. It's not that Leeds haven't had poor results under him before and haven't had days when they've they haven't played well because it it happens and it's always going to happen. But the first time I, I've ever been left feeling. You know, fairly confused about the the approach to it, um, because I mean, Bielsa he he puts in masses of preparation for each game, and and everything is about being prepared and pre prepared and ready to go. But at the same time, he's he's somebody who who's very good at analysing games as they play out. I mean, I always find that if you compare his post match comments of how many chances we had, how many chances they had, you know, how many goals we could have scored, how many goals they could have scored. It's always pretty accurate um, when you set it against the, the calculations for expected goals that various companies do. He, he seems to be a very good judge of who deserves to win which game. Um, and, and I always feel he's, he's pretty honest about that. And you, you'll see that he does make changes at, at half time in games that aren't planned, you know, pre-planned, because he feels that there's something he needs to alter or the balance of the, the contest isn't right. And, and, and it concerns him, so he does something about it. It felt on Sunday as if so much of what went on was preordained, had been decided in advance. And, and actually, it was kind of, you know, it was almost dogmatic in the end that, that they were going to stick to that and they were going to do it, even though, you know, as you said, and I agree with this, it didn't feel like the balance of the game at halftime was right to make those subs. It, it felt as if they were going to be problematic and, and that it was going to put Leeds at risk of an upset like that. And it just felt very unbielsa like that, I felt. It just didn't seem... He doesn't strike me at all, and never has, as somebody who has a plan in his head before a game that he'll stick to no matter what. You know, he, he as much as we think of him as not being flexible, he can be flexible um, on the on the job and, and in game. You know, he, he can see things that are happening and he can adapt to them. Um, whereas with that on Sunday, it, it did feel a bit as if I'm going to give minutes to Jenkins, I'm going to give minutes to Casey, and I'm going to play Harrison up front. And regardless of the fact that it's really tight and crawly. You know, Crawley had the tails up a bit and, and had had that chance just before half-time that Casilla kept out. Regardless of that, they, they went ahead with the changes anyway. While he did want to win the game, do you think it's fair to say that he he prioritised giving players minutes and giving players rest over actually winning the game? Yeah, absolutely. Or, or at least that, that he didn't disregard the fact that he had to be a bit careful with certain players. He, he said today, you know, he, he hasn't had Cooper available for a little while, so, you know, he had to sort of limit the minutes that he was having... With Stroke, obviously Calvin Phillips is banned this weekend and we're assuming that Stroke will, will step into the defensive midfield position against Brighton. So there was no way he could risk um, him getting injured or, or there was no way he could afford for um, for Stroke to get injured. And there's no Robin Koch and Llorente is facing this kind of long running battle now to get himself fully match fit and to stay match fit. So it had to be sensible. And I think likewise with Rodrigo, you know, it, it's a case of, of not pushing him too far and not taking on undue risks, but I I still feel that given the way the game was after forty five minutes, it was it was almost taking too many liberties of Crawley by you know by taking those players off and and lining up in in the way that that Leeds did. I think if you were looking for a scenario in which a lead two side were likely to cause an upset, that to my mind was probably it. We've got a Q and A coming up in part two, uh, where inevitably there are questions about Kiko Casillas, so we'll put a pin in the discussion about him in this bit just now and talk about some of the other bits. Uh, you picked out Sam Greenwood as we talk about the youngsters as one of the ones to watch last week. Uh, bit of a cameo appearance of a, as a sub really, didn't really make much impact. Yeah, I always feel a bit sorry from the 23s when it ends up being a debut like that. I think Jack Jenkins, well, he's a good player as Jenkins and a, and a really good prospect and he 
he had a couple of little losses of possession straight away at the start of the second half, which I don't know if that got into his head a little bit, but you know the, the kind of confidence and the fluency didn't seem to be there. And it was asking a huge amount of Greenwood um, to, to do anything in the last half hour and to make a, a particularly big impact, especially because Leeds weren't creating very much. I mean, Bielsa did say that it was the wrong decision to take Paveda off um, in the second half, you know, about, I think it was 58 minutes when he went off. And, you know, I, 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 I suspect it probably was in the sense that Paveda had been one of the best Leeds players on the pitch, wasn't saying a great deal, but actually there were a few tricks from him. There was some some nice play that, that caused Crawley um, some hassle in, in the first half. But they were 2-0 down at that point and, and really it, it didn't feel that the game was particularly salvageable even with the time that was left. You just didn't feel that, that Leeds had found any rhythm and were likely to find it from nowhere in that period. So it, it was good to see him and I, I think I'd, I'd said in advance of the game and I'd written this in, in a piece that we did on, on The Athletic that he, Greenwood, is, is one of the players who is certainly at the forefront of this 23 squad, somebody who's been on Bielsa's mind for a little while and, and who he wanted to give a go to and, and wanted to try. So no bad thing, I don't think, for, for him to come through. And, and I do feel as if you know Greenwood in particular can come out of that game on Sunday feeling that it was you know it was nothing to do with him and, and in no way could you point the finger of blame at him. And you know as I said earlier, Bielsa did make the point that it wasn't on his players on Sunday. He, he felt that in the end it would, you know, the, the questions had to be aimed at him and the criticism had to be aimed at him. What was the biggest kick in the teeth, do you feel then? Was it losing 3-0? Was it the scoreline? Or was it having a guy from Towie come off the bench for the sake of a documentary late in the second half? He wasn't having this, Bielsa. I mean, I said in, in my report, it did feel like the crowning kick in the teeth um, right coming off well, for all of like three or four minutes. And we were sat in the stand saying that, the you know, the... The trademark ending to a game like this would be him heading in a fourth, um, in the fourth minute of injury time or something like that. It it does feel a bit like a pantomime to me. That I, it, it's not that he has no football credentials at all. He's played at non-league level. He was at, at Spurs, um, and I don't, you know, John Yem's down there, quite cantankerous manager, speaks his mind. You know, seems to seems very old school in in his in his thinking and and his attitudes. And I can't imagine for the life of me, that he would be letting somebody like Mark Wright close to the squad in, unless there was a reason to do so. And and, and I mean a, a footballing reason. But you would assume that there's some financial bonus um, in this for Crawley. Otherwise, I, I really don't see the point. But Bielsa was saying earlier that he, he he didn't want people to ridicule that and he didn't want people to make a big deal of it. And, and as far as he's concerned, regardless of where Wright has come from and what his background is, he looks at him as somebody who's in a, a League Two squad and, and on those grounds deserves to be you know treated with respect and deserves to be considered to be a, a legitimate footballer. But I have to say, I'll, I'll be really surprised if in six months down the line, um, Wright has played anything like a, a serious number of games for Crawley. It does just feel like, a, a you know, it, it feels like I said, like a, a bit of a pantomime and, um, and something that's been done for, for publicity, but I guess time will tell. Is it bad that I can just be philosophical about these terrible cup defeats now and they just wash over me? I'm not sure if that if it's me or if it's Leeds United at fault with that or both of us. Well, it helps, doesn't it, that they're doing well in the Premier League. And, and I mean, I remember coming home from Histon. You, you had that thought in your head of how bad is this going to get? You know, it was a season where, season after the, the minus 15 point penalty um, and where, you know, in, in that season it, it was... It was astonishing, really, that Leeds got to the playoff final and um, were, were anywhere near promotion, given how far they were coming back from. But you assumed on the basis that they got to the playoff final that they were going to move forward under McAllister, they'd be really strong in, in League One, and then it started to fall away. And, and I remember him being summoned over to Monaco the week after the Histon defeat. And, and McAllister said at the time, I didn't fear for my job, you know, I didn't feel like I was going there to be sacked. But it was a definite black mark, and, and there was a definite feeling around the club of you know, where is this going? What's the, you know, what direction are we in? Are we are we dropping? Are we, is this just a, you know, a, a bit of a bump in the road? Whereas there's none of that with Bielsa. I mean, you, you wouldn't have the club going to him looking for answers, as unhappy as they'll be about going out at that stage. Because, you know, there's nothing, there's no upside to Leeds, uh, for Leeds really, of, of going out in the third round, given where they are in the, the Premier League table. But they're not going to ask questions of him. They're not going to demand answers. It's it's not like that. And, and you come away from it thinking, well, you know, there is an awful lot round about it that's encouraging and, and progressive um, from the club's perspective. 
So it doesn't need to be the the end of the world. I, I think it just always feels that way immediately afterwards because it's humiliating. And, and Belsa said earlier, I, you know, we don't feel humiliated by it. We just feel massively disappointed. But I don't think in the circumstances you can feel much other than a, a little embarrassed about the way it went. I think where this one feels in some way a little bit worse is because, as you say, the overall shape of the club seems to be it seems to be so good at the moment that it, it took me by surprise. And I think also some of the other ones have been by much smaller margins. Like you, you kind of expect a one nil cup defeat, don't you? And sometimes you expect it on a bad pitch with bad, with a lot of rain or something. This is actually better than the pitch at Ellen road. I would, I would have said from the look of it, although there was a bit of a bobble on the second. So it, it felt like there was no particular excuse for this one. It was just a sound beating by a team that were better than us on the day. They were, and they enjoyed themselves and congratulations to them as well. Cause they did deserve it. They, um, they took a bit of stick in the wake of this, though, the uh, the breach of distance. And it feels like there's a bit of political pressure at the minute being applied to football. And I know that today the Premier League have said they're concerned about the uh, the government's concerns in their direction about all this, which was a beautifully, again, to use the phrase, political statement. Um, and there was no presser for Bielsa. There is a bit of pressure with COVID on football at the minute. There is. I think there should be as well. I mean, football doesn't get to operate exactly how it wants to you have to you have to move and even groove within guidelines and you know and be responsible I mean the suggestion of a post-match huddle for Bielsa at Crawley was ridiculous I thought I, I, I mean we right the way through the season we've been doing press conferences pre and post-match on Zoom that I can't think of a single exception to that so far and, and admittedly it's different at this level because we're talking about games at Old Trafford and Ellen Road and, you know, Anfield and Spurs and, and everywhere else. Whereas this is the first time um, since the start of the season that we've been to a lower league ground. But, you know, with um, Crawley player and, and manager afterwards, there was a, a huddle of journalists in front of them, which, you know, it, it didn't seem like the right distance in protocol to me. And, you know, it's not really my place to pick up on that. But I think, you know, the, it, there, are, there are some ways in which football has been asked to do too much. The, the narrative at the moment about players not celebrating or not celebrating together, I, I think is is over the top. And, and I know why people are focusing on it. I think on the one hand, it's a handy distraction. On the other, people will be looking at it and saying, well, you're not limiting your chances of getting it, are you, if, if you're doing that? But these players, players are being tested constantly. Um, the, there are tight restrictions around training grounds and, and everything else. Um, but yeah, it's it. I guess football has to be seen to be doing the right thing in, in most circumstances, I must have said last week, and I don't feel any different now, it's it's feeling more and more unlikely that the game, certainly below the Premier but probably the Premier League as well, can avoid some sort of break. I mean, they've been talking about suspending the, the FA Youth Cup. I know in Scotland, many of the lower leagues have, have stopped um, for a, a temporary period. And looking at the number of postponements in the Premier League, I mean, clearly Southampton leads, or leads Southampton has, has gone and, and will be moved now back to another date in February or, or March. And that was moved because Shrewsbury weren't able to fulfil the, their FA Cup tie with, with Southampton. They had COVID outbreak. That game was postponed over the weekend, so that will now be played on Tuesday night um, next week instead. And Leeds um, Southampton, which would have been Wednesday, is uh, is to be rearranged. But there have been a lot of cancellations or a lot of postponements in the Premier League, which have been purely Premier League fixtures, which goes to show that clubs are being affected by this and clubs are finding it difficult to um, to restrict it are finding it difficult to properly isolate the players in ways that keeps them away from from the virus consistently. Uh, so I know why they don't want to, to suspend it. I mean, there's a lot of money involved and clearly the Euros at the end of the season is a big issue in terms of scheduling as well. And where he seems to have left any breaks in the season where, you know, postponed games could drop into quite easily. But there is a lot of pressure on. Um, you can tell, I think, that the Premier League are starting to feel the heat from government as well. So keep your eyes peeled and see where this goes. If we were to have a break, I mean, how big would it need to be is the, is the only issue because footballers, as you say, are tested regularly. They can, if they choose to, quite easily self-isolate and it it feels a little bit like almost giving them a break is an opportunity for some of them to mix, you know, being groups. Looking at the things Jack Grealish, for example, has done during the lockdown, it does make you wonder if it's actually going to be any benefit to, to let them do their own thing for a while. Well, they, they would have to be disciplined. I mean, I, I think it's reached the point after the, the various breaches that, that have been where there are going to have to be very strict sanctions for anybody who does kind of flagrantly breach the rules or, or breach protocol when it comes to isolating or, or um, keeping within certain bubbles. You only get so many lives with this stuff and you only get so many chances. And, you know, the, the game 
or players and people within the game are, are pushing the luck a little bit. I think if you were to have a break of two weeks, three weeks, what it would do would be allow it would allow clubs to be almost non-operational um, in a in a backroom sense. You know, the, the offices could clear, people could stay at home. Um, you wouldn't have to to manage things in, in quite the same way and necessarily have as many people in um, in your stadium or whatever else through that period. And players as well can can go away and, and isolate as best they can. And and I guess the idea would be that in that period you would allow people who had the virus to recover. You would keep um, people who didn't have the virus away from from people who were infected, and that ideally at the end of it, when you start up again, everybody's got a bit of a clean slate. But it's not. I mean, these these new variants and new strains seem to be very very infectious, and and more so than they were um, the, we were seeing during the, the initial lockdown um, midway through two thousand and twenty. So whether or not it's an exact science, or whether or not it would make a huge difference, I I don't know. But and and the Premier League, like I say, will. We'll try and resist this, but it, it does feel as if pressure is mounting. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Thanks to you if you sent a question in to us. We will do a Phil Hay Q&A another week as well with details to to follow of how you can get involved in that. Before we do get into this week's Q&A, let's have a quick word about Sol Bamba and and his diagnosis, Phil. Yeah, a a shock this and and news out the blue, which I suppose it always is in these circumstances, but being diagnosed with um, non-Hodgkin lymphoma, um, a form of cancer, and and is about to, or may well have started, um, chemotherapy. He's he's a fascinating guy, Bamba. He he was hugely popular in Leeds and and seemed to generate an awful lot of respect here, even though he, he passed through the club at a time when it was difficult stroke nigh on impossible to earn huge respect in the city the, the club weren't looking like being successful they were a mess in many respects ownership wise um it was repeated shambles that that you know it was just a case of the club being called into disrepute constantly and there were a lot of players who signed who didn't look to be up to it at championship level a lot of players who signed who, who didn't seem to have much business being at the club and certainly didn't look like they were they were going to deliver anything um, in terms of success. But Bamba, I mean, he he, he could go from being exceptional centre-back to being, a you know, one of those players who frightened you as he, as he went over halfway, carrying the ball into the opposition half as everybody in the ground sat thinking, what are you doing? Um, but he was a genuinely nice guy. And I think I think a lot of the reason why he is so well-respected, um, it comes down to the two kind of, State of the Union addresses that we got from him after the his first season at least 2014-15 and, and the following season where he came out um, of the tunnel at the end of the, the final game of each season and, and came and spoke to the journalists who were waiting and, and basically read the riot act a bit to, you know, told the club to get a grip was quite happy to take on Massimo Cellino to, to point out the ways in which it wasn't set up to, to be successful to point out the flaws in the, the ownership model um, and and to encourage you know just a bit more rational management and I think he was saying what a lot of people at the club would have liked to have said publicly but were not you know for for understandable reasons weren't really brave enough to do so um because of the potential repercussions um and it didn't seem to matter to him that saying any of those things you know might cost him his place at the club might might end in, in a transfer I think he just felt that it was in his head and and it was what he was seeing and and therefore he he needed to be honest about it and. And to speak his mind, and um, but I mean I've I've kept in touch with him since, and he's a he, he's a great guy. He's he's funny because he obviously grew up in Paris, so Ivory Coast international, but French um, French heritage in in that sense. And um, but when you speak to him, um, he'll he'll always say to him, "All right, Phil, I'm no bad mate." In this sort of fourth of fourth Scottish twang, which reminds you that he spent time at Dunfermline and and up at Hibs. It's that this um, weird little um, 
weird little sound in his voice that makes him from time to time sound like a, a proper broad Scot. And you'll remember the smile and, and you'll remember the, the personality. And I, I wrote about him on Tuesday. The office said, you know, it'd be nice to have a piece on on the fight that he started and, you know, how how, he, how you think he'll approach it. And, and, you know, just a bit more about him as a as a bloke. And I was really conscious of the fact that I didn't want it to read like an obituary because it 100% isn't and, and neither is this. But um, I wish him all the best and I I'm certainly will beat this because he's that sort of guy. Yeah, and certainly do pass on our best to Saul Bamba as well, Phil. We wish him the very best in his uh, in his recovery. On to the Q&A now then. And we've got loads of questions that have inevitably come in about Kiko Kasiya, given the timing of this particular thing. Um, so let's hear a few of the people who have sent questions in. And thanks to you if you did send a question in. If we didn't get around to it this time, we will do one in future. And we will get you on a future Phil Hayes show. In the meantime, thanks to all these folks. All right, lads, James here. Kiko Kasiya has taken a lot of criticism this week. And rightly so, I'm happy for it to continue. I reckon, all things considered, he is the worst transfer that Leeds United has ever made. What do you reckon? What does Bielsa make of Kiko Casillas' performances? Because I think it's fair to say that we're all pretty sick and tired of watching him flap uselessly at balls and run a mile out of his goal for no reason. But why does he still get picked? Hey guys, my name is Gregory, living in Montreal, Canada. And in chances of Kiko Casilla leaving before the end of his contract, because he has to go for his sake and for Leeds' sake. Cheers. Hi, Phil. Hi, guys. George here. Um, I just wanted to ask you a question about Kiko. Do you think the club are going to look at moving him on, uh, especially considering the fact that he's on such a considerable wage um, and he's he's still not first choice keeper? I can hardly ever see him getting motivated to try and challenge Melier for that top spot. Thank you. Hi, Phil. Casilla. When are we getting rid of him? He's garbage. We need a better number two. Are the club going to look to sell him? So plenty of questions on a theme there, Phil. Uh, Kiko Kasia, we are we are hot off the um, the presses with the press conference and uh, Marcelo Bielsa's quite impassioned defence of Kiko Kasia. I mean, from a fan's perspective, I, I think he's he's reading the room wrong with this one. But again, you know, what do I know? He's Marcelo Bielsa and, and I'm just me. I think he is as well. Uh, we, we can't pretend that, that this is a, definitive sample I mean we're talking about five fans there but I, I'm not aware of anybody phoning in um, a question to or, or a, a comment to tell us that actually Casillas doing well and, and he needs support and, and that you know he, he, he could still be a, a key member of this squad there is without doubt a, a big difference between the way Casillas is perceived by the public and um, sections of the fan base and sections of the media me included and the way in which he's seen by the club and, and Bielsa in particular. I mean, I think there are people at Leeds who, and at Ellen Road, who can see the value of moving um, Casilla on. I, I think they, they realise that it's not going to get any better for him. And they realise that his reputation's taken a seriously big hit um, after the, the racism charge and, and the ban that he served. And I think they realise as well that in, in return for the money that he earns and the cost to the club of, of, of having him in the squad... The performances and the appearances such as they are are not providing much in the way of payment in return. But if Bielsa had wanted him gone, Casilla would have gone in the summer. There's absolutely no question about that. And and it might have been complicated because he has a long contract. He, he is on a high wage. I'm not aware of a huge clamour amongst other clubs, even clubs in Spain, to sign him. But I think it would have been possible for Leeds to have found a destination for him had Bielsa decided that enough was enough and Casilla had to go. But I've always been under the impression, right from um, the point where Casilla was banned, that actually Bielsa is supportive of him and is sympathetic about the you know, the reaction to Casilla um, since the, the ban was imposed on him by the FA. And I very much get the impression that in Bielsa's head, it's his, you know, it's his view that Casilla has served his suspension, he served his time and should be allowed to, to put it behind him and to move forward. I think the problem is that there are a lot of people, certainly uh, amongst the fan base and, and some of us in the media as well, who, who don't feel as if um, the, the racism charge, the, the, the ban that was imposed in, on Cassie and the, and the implications of it were properly dealt with by Leeds. And, and anybody who wants to hear more about this can obviously revisit the podcast that we did with KG um, back after the, um, the ban was, was first announced. And, and we spoke you know, for, for an hour on this and, and a lot of... A lot of different views, but uh, you know, I think we we all in the end agreed that that 
you know, we, it it didn't look good for Casilla at all. It wasn't flattering. There was a lot in the the written reasons um, that seemed to to count against him. And and I I don't feel any differently now to how it did. You know, the best part of twelve months ago, which is that it would do everybody a favour, including Casilla, I think, for for them to go their separate ways. I, I mean, I, when I watch him play now, and and you know, there was that the game obviously on Sunday to to refer to most recently, but the the errors from him and the and the way it went in the second half, there doesn't seem to be any confidence there. There doesn't seem, you know, it's as if it's now got into his head that there's a huge amount of scepticism about him and a huge amount of opposition to him even being at the club. And I can't imagine he's enjoying being here any more than supporters who are opposed to him enjoy seeing him in the team or seeing him in, in the squad week to week. But, you know, Bielsa was asked about him today. And, you know, as he has before, and, you know, it's, it's not for the first time, Spoken defensive him, you know, very, very defensive, very, very supportive. Said to him, you know, I, I want to help Casilla. I'm going to do my utmost, he said, to, to help him. And he clearly feels that the treatment of, of Casilla since he came back from his ban has been harsh. I mean, that does seem to be Bielsa's view. Um, and, and he almost feels duty-bound to make sure that, that he supports Casilla as, as much as he can. And, and on that basis, it may well be that Casilla goes in the summer because you know it, it might reach the point where everybody realises that this just does not have legs in it anymore and, and that it would help all sides if, if they just came to that decision. But for now, there's certainly no sign at all that, that Bielsa um, is going to abandon him. Uh, and, I mean, the question was put to Bielsa, are you tempted you know, to rely on, say, Caprio, for example, on the bench? And, you know, Bielsa ridiculed that. He said, that, you know, it's, it's incredible that I'm being asked that given that Casilla has a background at Espanyol and Real Madrid, um, and Caprile has, has never played a senior game, you know, at, at, at any played at that sort of significant level. Um, and he made the point that you know you go from Spurs, where people are suggesting that Mesley, because of his mistakes, is perhaps a bit inexperienced, and you know, do they need somebody with with a bit more nous and goal to a situation this week where Casilla's made a mistake and suddenly the question is, should you be putting a you know, 18, 19, 20-year-old with literally no experience on the bench in place of him? But I think that I think the, the picture is much bigger than that. I think it's a far more broad issue. And and ultimately it feels to me that on top of Casilla's performances, which you know have been very mixed at best, uh, there is a problem with the fact that I don't think in some quarters his reputation is ever going to recover from um from the racism case. But quite apart from the racism thing. I just don't think he's a very good keeper. We made this point on on the Square Ball podcast. He's just there's no evidence to suggest that we should be backing him. So, is it fair to say that he's been in some way mistreated? Because all you can go on is what your, your eyes and your ears tell you. And I see a guy who terrifies me every time he's named on the team sheet. I mean, we even picked it out, didn't we, Michael? We said that there's a point in that first half at Crawley where Liam Cooper opted against passing it back to Kiko Casilla under a bit of pressure and put it straight into touch, which kind of seems to go against the theme of what Bielsa generally likes. And I mean, Phil mentioned there about the idea of throwing in a teenager. I, th- I feel like he's almost reached that stage where the level of trust in him and then his level of performance has got to that stage that it did with Rahobka at halftime against Blackpool, where you have Alex Kern sat on the bench, who's never played, but you have to reach a point where you go, do you know what? Let's give it a go. It's got to be better than this. And, and the same when Bailey Pickett Farrell got in the team because Viedvald couldn't go a game without making a horrendous mistake. And it seems to be the same sorts of things with Casilla all the time. It's his near post and it's him running out for balls that he, he cannot get anywhere near. And at his age, I just don't think it's forgivable. I think if a teenager did that and Capriel had been in the team, we would have forgiven it. But someone who earns the money he earns has come from where he has at the age he is. I just don't think it's forgivable anymore. And I, I mean, I'd be interested to know, actually, like, is this what he wants? Because surely at his age, he's living away from home. I'm not sure if his family are here or not. But this can't be what he wanted when he came to Leeds. No, I, I can't imagine it is. His, his family have spent a lot of time back in Spain and, and he used to travel back and forward. After his ban was imposed, he spent a bit of time back there with them um, just while the, the weeks and the games were passing. Um, it is a problem, I think, when you, you get to the point where, like Dan says, the player's name appears on the team sheet and you're wondering which errors they're going to make and, and how they're going to cost you. And, and you automatically question, and Bielsa denied that this is the case, but you automatically question whether the players start to feel like that as well. I mean, the to my mind, and, and the, the good thing I think this season is that it doesn't look like it's going to be an issue. Leeds are, are going nicely in the Premier League and they're not, you know, they're not a mile away actually from securing safety. I think another 
four or five wins if they can do it. We'll we'll have them there. You know, they'll they'll be in, in really, really good shape. Um but the answer to this I don't think is to throw Capril on. The the answer was Alex Cairns on the Blackpool night because he was on the bench, you know, and Rahobka had that absolute nightmare and, and it and it had to be done. But but Cairns, and he would admit this himself, he he wasn't the answer longer term. You know, it, it wasn't like that was going to be the solution, which is why Leeds went out straight after and signed Alex McCarthy on on loan from Reading because they knew they needed somebody else. That I think is the solution to this. It, sign a different player, you know, sign another keeper who can be number two to to Melier, but but can actually provide competition and can provide it with confidence. You know, I I I watched um Casilla after the game at Derby last season and, and Leeds were champions by that point. So th- there was nothing riding on the game, but they played very well and, and they won and, and there were all the celebrations afterwards, you know, Otter with the binoculars and so on and the, the leading to the, the FA charges. Um but the player the players were obviously full of it, and even though there were no supporters in the crowd, you had Cleek going into the crowd to, to into the stands to applaud the other players, you had banners and you had all sorts. Casilla was in the initial huddle straight after full time, but he, he kind of stayed up the, the other end of the pitch as the players went downfield and, and carried on celebrating. And I I don't know if this is the case, but it felt a little as if he, he wanted to keep away from it and he didn't want, you know, his face to be in the middle of it and and then he didn't feature um, at the Charlton game when Leeds lifted the title. So again, in amongst the photos, there is no sign at all of the keeper who's played probably 75%, if not more, of, of the games that have taken them to promotion. And I know he wasn't brilliant in, in parts of last season, but there were parts where he was pretty steady as well. So it, it did feel like a, a bit of a disconnect. And it was hard on that basis to see what sort of fulfilment he was getting from any of this. You know, where was the passion? Where was the enjoyment? Can he find it again, given that, you know, it's gone for him in the past 12 months as it has, you know, it's done a lot of damage to his reputation in, in the eyes of a lot of people. And, you know, I, I think if you had a different number two in who could come into the team without feeling that there was that stigma and there was that attention on him because of things that had gone on previously, it, it would be advantageous and, and it would be healthier. And I, I you know, I, I felt last you know this summer just gone that it was a position they they should address, and I don't mean in terms of not playing Melier. I was I was perfectly open to the idea of him starting the season as first choice, but I think this summer coming round, it's it's got to be done. On to another theme. Then we got loads of questions around the transfer market. Our thanks to Craig, Jack, Oliver, Sean, Tom, and Andy, amongst others, who have sent us questions on that. Hi, Phil. It's uh, Jack from Farsley. Just a, a quick query. Uh, off the back of the Crawley game. Um, do you think that the performance might change the mindset on incomings this month? Cheers. Hi, Phil. This is Oliver. I just wondered if the embarrassing defeat to Crawley would encourage Marcelo Bielsa to increase his squad size. Thank you. Hi, guys. Tom Spark here. If reasonable offers came in, which players do you think the board would listen to offers for? Hi, Phil. Uh, so it appears to every living mammal apart from Marcelo Bielsa that Pascal Stroik is never and will never in the next 100 years be a midfielder. It also appears clear that Adam Forshaw won't play for Leeds United within that same time frame. Do you think this realisation will prompt a rethink as to the acquisition of a midfielder this month? Transfers, Phil. We'll take them all as kind of a broad question. Will we see any action this month and will this Crawley game have a bearing on Bielsa's thinking? I don't think it will have a bearing on the thinking for the first team because it doesn't change the fact that when it comes to the Premier League table, they're still in a, a strong position. They're in as strong a position as they would have expected to be at this stage. And and that was part of the rationale for, for planning nothing big this month. And I think had you seen the league form deteriorate before Christmas and, and had it gone poorly through January a little bit like it did last season and that is when you know potentially a rethink can can come that's potentially when the club might push the boat out in terms of what they're willing to spend or wages that they're, they're willing to take on but I still think if if you look at it sensibly you can see that the merit in sitting tight if there's nothing out there that you desperately want to do and waiting for the the summer window to come round I mean, I, th- I think what's probably been demonstrated by both the Crawley tie and the, the defeat to Hull City in the League Cup is that there are very good 23s at Leeds, and genuinely there are. There's a lot of talent in that group and a lot of players who, who could train on and, and become quality Premier League footballers. But I don't think the squad is so strong that it can take 
eight, nine, ten changes. I mean, it's interesting because away at Derby last season, that's what Bielsa did. He, he made he fielded you know virtually a completely new team um, because the promotion and, and the title was was already wrapped up, and and they played extremely well there. But it was a dead rubber, and there was nothing in it for Derby, and Derby were out of form at the time. Whereas I think what they found is that against Hull and, and against um, Crawley, the the changes have been so numerous that they've lost all the rhythm and and they've lost the continuity, and there isn't really the 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 sort of seriously high level of quality in reserve that means that you can do that at, at, at no cost. So perhaps the message from Sunday that needs to come is that when they get round to the summer, and I'm, I've no doubt that this was planned anyway, but they need to continue strengthening in the way that they did at the first summer before the Premier League. And little by little, they need to target the areas where they don't think they're strong enough and, and to build up there, you know, to improve in, in the key positions where, where they need better players and, and and essentially to to keep ticking over, that's how you progress, and and that's how how you get better. But I'd have been absolutely amazed if on the back of um the the Crawley defeat, Leeds had suddenly gone big in the transfer market because of it. It was slightly different after Hull. Bear in mind that Hull was the week after the opening game of the season away at Liverpool, and Bielsa I think was pretty surprised by how poorly that team played. You know the lineup he put out, how how poor they were against Hull. And at that point, it begged the question of do we have enough for thirty seven more Premier League games? At this stage, you're almost halfway into the season. Leeds are on 23 points um, and, and seem to be coping very well. So to a large extent, that, that question has been answered. But if you're asking me, can they sit still in the summer um, and, and carry on indefinitely with this squad? Then I think the answer is no. You know, like, like any team, they're going to have to keep improving. I do tend to agree. I do think we need a central midfielder, somebody to offer competition or assistance to, to Matthias Click. I mean, in terms of the question of strike, I'm fairly sure people at Leeds will tell you Bielsa does fancy him as a Calvin um, substitute and over the coming years thinks he's going to develop into something that will resemble that. Yeah, I'm pleased that that's been asked because um, online today we've got a piece um, comparing Strike to Phillips and really asking the question of is Strike somebody who can be Bielsa's defensive midfielder as and when Phillips is missing? You know, Does he have the same credentials? Does he have the the same skill set? Is he good enough and mobile enough to, to play there? And I think what the stats show so far, and again, he hasn't played a huge amount, so it's quite difficult to to make a sort of strictly accurate comparison. But you can draw conclusions from the numbers that are there and, and the games that he's played in. Defensively, they're pretty similar. Defensively, they can do similar sort of jobs. Um, they're good at recovering the ball, um, good in the tackle, you know, good at... Basically, good at providing that shield of defence um, in front of the the back four or the back three, whatever it is that Bielsa is playing. Where Phillips scores much more highly is um, is is in his progressive passing, the quality of his passing, the, the chances that he creates. Um, and I mean, even with the naked eye, if you watch Phillips, the, the range of his passing, the difficult balls that he goes, you know, goes looking for in in wide areas or, or from deep positions. It takes a huge amount of quality and ability to be able to not not only have a go at that as a one-off or for a couple of games, but to do it, you know, right the way through this season, but also right the way through two years under Bielsa. Phillips is an immense player and, and has improved so much um, in the, the period when Bielsa's been head coach. And I guess it brings you around to the, the point of thinking that moulding somebody into that, you know, as a substitute or a stand-in for Phillips is extremely tough. You know, it hasn't been an overnight thing for Phillips. He's had to learn at length and he's had he's had difficult games in amongst a, a lot of very good games. I think in, you know, in the, the grand scheme, it would be much easier to find competition for Phillips in the transfer market than it would be to hone strike and, and bring him through. But the, the honest answer to that question, I think, is you're going to have to wait and see with strike. You're going to have to wait and see where he is in say a year's time when he's played a bit more there, when he's had a few a few more games and, and, and a bit more of a chance to show that he can not only defend as Philip defends, but he can also pull the strings and, and pick the passes in the same way. I I have to say I see a lot about him that I like. I'm still very much in two minds about whether or not he's gonna be a defensive midfielder. And I think if if we were all being honest and Bielsa would probably say the same, his nat- most natural position seems to be as a left-sided centre-back. But you're right, Bielsa does fancy him there and I think he'll play there against Brighton at the weekend. In terms of potential outgoings, Phil, with the emergence of Perveda and the arrival of Rafinha, where do you think this leaves Costa now? Because it felt like his performance on the Saturday, on the weekend was a chance to maybe show that he should be in the first team and he didn't he didn't particularly do it for me. It was flat and there wasn't an awful lot there. And, you know, it, it there's no doubt at all that 
uh, Rafinha has, has been coming up on the rails and, and has passed him. And I, I don't think you'd find many people who would be pushing for Costa to play ahead of Rafinha um, at the moment. Again, somebody Bielsa likes and somebody Bielsa rates and, and very much involved in, in his plans at the moment, but clearly not a cheap signing at 15, 16 million pounds. And somebody who I think is going to have to to make a bigger impact than he has. I, I, I wrote about him halfway through last season, midway through the, the championship title year. And, and I was saying that with him, you, you get these little flashes where he, he looks great and he's effective and he makes a big difference, but it's never an explosion. You know, it's never, it's never absolutely dynamite. Um, you know, there are, it, there, there can be points where you're very impressed points where you think he's, he's going to really move forward and, and develop into you know, a higher, higher caliber of, of player. And then it all seems to dip again, which is how I felt it went earlier this season when Rafinha got his chance and 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 took it really impressively. I mean, there, there was the question in there about who Leeds would listen to offers for if if they were made. The honest answer to that is very very few of the players in in Bielsa's squad. There are very few players that they would actively look to sell. I think, as I say, at, at boardroom level, there are certainly people who who could see the merit in in taking a decent offer for Casilla. And I think with somebody like Costa. I don't mean immediately, but you know, going forward, he's he's going to have to play an awful lot better than he did on Sunday to to stay in the plans. But um, I think it's a very 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 solid squad, very very tight squad. But clearly, if there were to be more additions in the summer, then it will put certain um, certain people at risk because you know, I'd, just to refer back to the question about will be also go with a bigger squad. I just don't think he's ever minded to do that. I think he's got his his ideas with that. He's got his reasons for having a small squad. And and you know, at this stage of a coaching career that's been going on for for thirty years now, it's highly unlikely that he's going to do an about turn. Right, we'll do some of the miscellaneous other questions that we got now. Starting off with this one from Paul. Hi, Phil and the Square Bar lads. Uh, last season, when there were the season was curtailed with nine games to play. The Norwich City Finance Director, who I believe is a Leeds fan, said that there should be no relegation or promotion because it had to be earned on the field. Do you think if anything happened this season with Norwich running away with the Championship that he would still feel the same? Thank you. He must be referring to Stuart Webber, who's the Director of Football at Norwich. Needless to say, if Norwich are top of the Championship and the season is suspended or curtailed then they're not going to want there to be no relegation in the same way that Leeds didn't um that is human nature uh, the a decision on what happens though would, would come down to the, the leagues and and the clubs and would depend entirely on where they were in the season um something tells me it's not going to be an issue this time around because I do think certainly with the Premier League we, we will get again far enough into the season where at the very worst there could be a points per game um solution and the Premier League were really clear last season, that there would be no credibility in the competition if, if they were kind of blocking relegation for the season. You know, there, there really was a feeling that, that it would have to happen. And, and more to the point, there was a feeling that they had to play on because they needed to try and limit the rebate that they were going to have to um, to pay back to, to your various TV broadcasters. So, no, Norwich would want to come up 100%. There'd be clubs in the Premier League who would love the idea of, of no relegation, but unless the season was to end at a, a stupidly early point, um, then I don't see that happening. Would there be any point in them coming up? Would they actually try to stay up this time or would they just accept the money again? I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't let them up in the first place. Pull up the ladder, I say. I think you, sh- you <laughs> should get a few goes at the Premier League maybe and then you just you just don't get to come up again. Look at West Brom. It's a waste of time. Just stay in the Championship if you're not going to even try. On to a question now then from Andy that actually taps back into one of the themes we've been talking about today. Hi guys. As much as Bielsa has done a lot, and when I say a lot, a lot for this football club, do you think he does get a free pass when you look at some of the results considering. There's a fair point there, I think, about the sort of credit or debit you've got in the bank when it comes to Leeds United. Do you agree that, you know, Bielsa has done so much, he's taken us back to the place that we needed to be for a decade and a half, a club that could not, just could not make that final leap, could they under so many former regimes and managers? And he's done that. So has he earned a huge amount of credit that offsets these bad results? He definitely has. I mean, that's, that's not in question. And on top of that, it, it's not only the fact that, you know, in, in general, it's been good. It's the fact that the, the bad results very rarely set in, you know, in his period in charge and we're starting to creep towards the end of, of you know, towards three years now of, of Bielsa. There've been little spells like over Christmas last season when it all, you know, the, the form did drop and, and it became a little bit problematic 
But it was the sort of window that you expect a club to have every season. You know, you do expect that to come around. And, and the question is always, how are they going to get themselves out of it? And and are they going to be able to write themselves again? And and with Bielsa, the answer always seems to, to be yes. I think that's a very fair question. I, th- I think there is definitely a danger that, and, you know, I'm probably as guilty of this as, as anybody else, that you do give him, you know, more leeway than perhaps you should in certain instances because you're, you kind of pay in respect to, to what's gone on before and, and how, how good he's been in general. And and you're acknowledging the fact that, you know, from time to time every manager gets it wrong and, and every you know, every manager makes mistakes. I don't think it's a bad thing though that, that Leeds and, and the fan base at Leeds and, and maybe us in the media as well have, have found a way of becoming less reactive because if anything, football gets more and more reactive by the year and, and sometimes to a ridiculous degree. I mean, there was, I know, I saw Adrian Durham on TalkSport talking about Bielsa needing to, to offer his resignation after the Crawley game. And I, I don't know what the context was to that comment. And, and I don't know whether he was being wholly serious. The context but, is that it's Adrian Durham and this is what he does. Well, that kind of sums up the, the way football is and, and the reactions that, that you get to individual results. And there'll be some people who say it's never been any different, but I think it has been different in the past. And I, I like the fact that, Bielsa can work without the, the kind of fear that having done so much good at Ellen Road that one one bad result, one bad weekend, one pretty shocking weekend like this one just gone is going to mean that people unleash the hounds and he's he's having to padlock his door. Um, but it, to go back to the discussion we had after the, the Manchester United game, I, I do think that if that is still happening in a year's time or in 18 months' time, saying that Bielsa, you know, suggesting that, that, that he is here for a really, really long stint, then it will start to frustrate people and it will start to annoy people and it will create a trend of, you know, us journalists and, and fans being able to say, look, this is on repeat, this sort of result. You know, this is coming round time and time again. But I don't think it's it's unreasonable that in the first season back in the Premier League, you, you go to Old Trafford, you try and play like that, you, you get heavily beaten. Does it really matter? I mean, it, it matters um, from the, the aesthetic point of view that you're losing to the club that, that supporters of Leeds would want to lose to least but you beat Newcastle before that game you, you pick up wins over West Brom and Burnley um, in, the, in the week that follows and, and you move up over 20 points before you've hit the halfway stage of the season it's it's that same old story no matter what's going on at the minute he, he always finishes in credit and I think it's important to, to be honest about that and final one then this one comes from Dave Hello Phil, I just wondered if I could ask you a simple either or question. Would you rather have an immediate end to the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, so no more social distancing, no more uh, having to homeschool, anything like that, or would you rather have uh, Marcelo Bielsa leave Leeds United and take over your beloved hearts? Wow. Well, I'm going to say COVID because if I don't say COVID, I'm going to end up in the Daily Mail or I'm going to have Piers Morgan on my case, so um, discretion is the better part of valour. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Brighton at the weekend, three o'clock kickoff. Is that is that allowed? I didn't think that was allowed anymore. Apparently it is, but only because you can put three o'clock kickoffs um, on the telly, but it hardly ever happens. And I'm completely out of the habit of even expecting to play at three o'clock on a Saturday. I mean, it's not unusual actually for the leads to be shuffled around all over the place, but you do hit patches of each season where you go through Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, and it's all quite quite normal. But yeah, Saturday, three o'clock, it'll be nice to get back to that. Phillips is out, strike comes in for him, as we know, or expect, and a win at the weekend is going to put us in a pretty good position, isn't it? Another three points on top of our tally, particularly against uh, a team that is um, within touching distance, shall we say, of the bottom three in Brighton. Um, it'd be a good, a good three points, this one. What do we make of Brighton? Well, when we had Damien Lawrence on before the Arsenal game, you kind of asked her, are Arsenal any good? And she struggled to answer that. And I feel the same about Brighton. I hear a lot of good things about Graham Potter that are ways in, in parts of Brighton's play that quite impress me and, and that I quite like. 
But they hardly ever win games. I mean, I, I was looking at his record today. 63 games in charge, 14 victories, and they do pick up a lot of draws. But that's a very, very low win rate. And it, it brings you back to the, the debate about whether the, the push down there and, and Potter's push for a certain style and you know commitment to this ethos is actually... You know, being justified by the results, they're in a bit of trouble. Um, and you know that there is a danger, given that Fulham have games in hand, that that they're going to get sucked in. Um, and you know, it, it is an important game this one. I, I feel for Leeds because if they win this and if they beat Brighton, they're, they're going to be a long, long way clear of what's going on at, at the bottom of the table, and not so far clear that they can't be touched, but so far clear that it's going to take not only a you know a big demise at Ellen Road, but also some pretty spectacular form from sides that that are showing no sign of it. To um to turn that all on its head, um they've also got injury problems and, and selection problems at, at Brighton. A lot of players who either have been missing or, or will be missing. Welbeck, I don't think will be fit. Lalana has been ill. Brighton haven't said whether or not it's it's COVID, but um he he is out, and I don't think will will feature at the weekend. So again, it it feels like you know reasonably good timing for Leeds, and and I, I just there doesn't seem to be a lot to fear in the way Brighton play. I think they're a side who when they click can be very, very good, um, but they haven't clicked very often this season. Right, it's strange in that every time I see them play, they seem to always play just about all right, but then lose or occasionally draw. And and they seem to always lose by one goal, it seems to be, whereas we will win 5-2 and then lose 6-2, and it's a bit more up and down. Brighton seems to very consistently just draw and lose by a goal. This is it, which makes you think that perhaps they're, they're not spectacularly far away from from actually making it click a bit more. Um, and from turning from a you know a side who are down fourth bottom to a side who are in mid table, but I'm not sure I I see it coming. They just they just look a bit limited, uh, and they they look as if they they don't have the quality that you would need to play fully in the way that Potter wants them to play. I don't think they're miles off either, but you do need that little bit of devilment and that little bit of magic in in order to do what your better sides do. And you know Leeds have that in players like Rafinha and Rodrigo, and and even you know you. Cleeks and your, your Calvin Phillips players who you know can be match winners in in their own their own way. It just doesn't feel like Brighton have have enough of that. Um, but at the same time, I, I think you're right. I, I would expect it to be really tight um, at Ellen Road. I, I don't think it'll be one sided at all. And I think Brighton will will certainly be in the game. And it comes down to the same thing with um, with Bielsa and Leeds. If, if they make the most of the possession and they take their chances, I think they'll win on Saturday. If they don't, then they they might well be susceptible. They've got a young lad in midfield called Ben White who seems seems fairly promising. Well, well, let me pose this as a question to you, Phil, actually, if you don't mind, jumping in before you reply to Michael there. Do you reckon there is a growing argument or even a, a growing opinion that they perhaps could see the benefit in having sold Ben White to us in the summer because he's playing in midfield, which is out of position for him? I mean, to go back to you know, so the de- defenders as midfielders discussion we've had about Pascal Stroik, but he is out of position playing him in midfield. They've got loads of centre-backs. It feels like he's there on a promise that he was given by Potter that he would play. But actually, with hindsight, given their league position, the fact that they can't really seem to get enough wins, do you reckon they look back on this and think, actually, maybe we could have taken the 28 million or whatever? I don't know, is the honest answer. I, I don't know. Certainly from speaking to a Brighton correspondent, I, I don't get that impression. But it's not the sort of thing that the club would, would admit openly or or even you know be, be loose-tongued about. I think some of his performances they've been very happy with, but he, he has shifted about and he has been used in unusual roles. I know Bielsa saw him as the, the Phillips standing um, in periods of last season. And actually, I thought White's best game there came in the very last one before the, the COVID shutdown, the, the game at home to Huddersfield. Um, but he's been used on the right as a almost as a, a bit of a, a right wing back, which, it you know, he, he had a decent amount of pace and everything else, but he didn't look like he, he was built built as a fullback or a wingback should be built. That never struck me as a natural position for him. He's a little bit of time on the left-hand side, but more recently he's been playing in, in this midfield four, which which um, uh, Potter and Brighton seem to have in, in front of their back three. And one of the reasons why Leeds thought they might have some success with their offers in the summer was because there are, or there were, you know, multiple centre-backs at Brighton. And the question was, is he going to play? How much is he going to play? And actually set against that isn't 25 to 30 million pounds a great offer for somebody who who hasn't played in the Premier League yet um but looks like he he has got vast potential you know doesn't that seem like a, a fair bid but 
I mean, Brighton were utterly resistant to the offers that um, that Leeds were making, and Bielsa touched on it briefly today. You know, he, he said we we did try to acquire him, but but we couldn't, and because of that, we went for Robin Cock and um, and for Urenti as well. Um, so I I don't know. I I I suspect that Brighton still think there's a lot a lot of talent there and and a lot of potential. But the 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 times I've seen White this season, and I haven't seen him too often, but the times I've watched him in Brighton's team. I haven't been as impressed as I was when he played for Leeds and you have to mitigate that by saying that he's playing at a higher level and, and he is sometimes being played out of position. But I still do think the debate's there. You know, should Brighton have taken the money or, or were they right to say no? If they do go down in the end, then I guess we'll have an answer on that. But we shall see. I mean, do you ever get the sense that they're kind of overcomplicating things a bit with that three at the back that they're playing with so many defenders they're trying to accommodate them all somewhere? Potentially, yeah. And, and if you compare the results... Um, to some of the performances or compare the results to the, the perceived idea of what they're trying to do and, and how they're trying to make it work. It, the, the two don't seem to be in tandem at the moment. They, they just aren't, it, you know, it, it, it isn't matching up. Even if they are playing well from time to time, they're, they're not picking up enough points. And, you know, I, I always go back to this thing. It, it, there's a sense of Potter and Brighton wanting to play in the right way, you know, to use that awful phrase. But, you know, the, playing out from the back and being on the ball and using the ball... Um, you know that the kind of modern tactic, really. You know, to to do what modern coaches are supposed to do, but the problem is, you you can't say that it's working for them because it isn't. You know, it's it quite clearly isn't in the results, and they're they're not a team who who win games. But it doesn't look like he's going to deviate from that. And I think you know he'll he'll go out on his shield if if they were to go down, he'll they will fall on his sword in respect of of his tactics. But you're right, there is a danger of overcomplicating things, and I think. It's, it's very easy to look at what Klopp does with Liverpool and what Guardiola does with Manchester City or even Bielsa at Leeds. And Bielsa is a different case because in, in the case of Leeds, you're not talking about, you know, truly top-level, elite, world-class players in the way that, you know, Liverpool have with Salah and, and Manchester City have with De Bruyne and, and Aguero in his prime and, and everything else. It's easy to look at what they do and to be inspired by it and to, to want to emulate it and to want to copy it. But the only reason they're able to do it is A, because they're incredibly technically gifted coaches and B, they've got incredibly technically gifted footballers. Um, and the bottom line, I think, is to say that that style of football is not for everybody. Not everybody's going to be able to do it. And, you know, if it carries on like this for Brighton, if they do get sucked in and if they do get into trouble, I don't really see how, unless they're willing to, you know, take the hit that, say Norwich did and, and stick with Daniel Farke or Sheffield United who look like sticking with, with Chris Wilder unless they're, they're willing to do that you, you sense that something's going to have to change Silly question really but I guess you'll want to watch for this weekend is going to be Ben White Indeed and, and I think actually if he does play in midfield pretty interesting to watch what he does because I, I would have liked the chance to have seen him as a centre-back you know to, to compare what he's doing as a central defender for Brighton um, when it comes to bringing the ball out, how you know how much he's prepared to move with it, what his distribution's like, and to, to the way he played at Leeds where he was so you know uber confident, ultra confident on the ball. It would have been great to, to have made that comparison. But I find it really interesting to imagine him against Cleek, you know, and, and him against Rodrigo if Rodrigo's playing at ten and, and him against Bamford if Bamford is dropping off into the, the areas. How is he going to manage all that roundabout and what's he going to do? And and considering that Leeds were, you know, going to pay upwards towards about thirty million pounds for him, and another chance to think on about whether that would have been a good investment ultimately. A game Leeds should win. I fancy Leeds to get back to winning ways after the Crawley game. I think uh, we've got it in our locker to uh, to turn this one around. What do you fancy? I'm I'm going to go for a one 0 Leeds win. I think it'll be tight. I think it'll be close. I don't think there'll be too many goals in it, but I suspect that Leeds have one more in them than Brighton. I think I confidently predicted we'd beat Crawley, so I'm going to go one 0 Brighton. Dunk header eighty eight. <laughs> don't ever change please don't ever change <laughs> fantastic uh, we'll catch up on this one next week and in the meantime if you want to read all the stuff Phil's been writing about then get subscribing to The Athletic Three ninety nine a month at the minute that's the discount uh, you can get that at theathletic.com forward slash leads pod theathletic.com forward slash leads pod we'll speak to you next time The Phil Hay Show 